thank you. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Robin Nunley, uh, uh, and I have been doing a lot of work in China over many years. Uh, and as continuation of the podcast uh, that I did previously, uh, today I want to talk to you about Chinese business culture, uh, which is a very wide-ranging subject. Uh, and, and first of all, I think I would like to define what culture is and also to an extent what it isn't. What I don't, when I talk about culture uh, in general, uh, I don't mean high culture. No, things like uh, literature, art, music. I mean the, the things that we do use in our daily lives. Culture really is, is nothing more than the way in which groups have organized themselves over the years, over many years, in fact, to solve problems and challenges uh, that they uh, are faced in, in, in their everyday lives and to solve these challenges in the most effective way. Uh, and because uh, people have different backgrounds, uh, different parts of the world, the responses to life's challenges are different and hence we all have a slightly different culture. There's no arguing, for example, that the, the culture in the UK or in the West is different from that in China. Not better, but different. So I, 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 first of all, I, I'd like to look at what drives our culture in a little bit more detail. That there's a long list of things, but the ones I wanted to pick out, but first of all, language. Uh, language is very important. Uh, people say that if you really want to learn about a culture or about a nationality, then you have to learn the language. And I think that's right. I, I, I suspect that it is almost impossible to uh, fully understand Chinese culture if you don't speak Chinese. So what we're doing really is, is, is just touching the surface of this. Other things that, <clears throat> effect, that drive culture are uh, values and aesthetics. You know, what do you value in society? Very strong in China, of course, is law and politics and their history, the history of the Communist Party, uh, the, the way that Chinese people think that they've been humiliated by the West. All of this goes into, in, in, into culture. Another area, other areas are education. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say that uh, well-educated, shall we say, university-educated uh, people have a different culture from what I might term a, a working class culture. Other areas are your family, uh, what you uh, have learned from your family, and also your climate. You know, uh, clearly, if you're in a very cold climate, uh, your culture will be slightly different if you're in a tropical climate. One of the problems that we face in China, of course, is uh, that China is has covers both of these. In in the north, it is extremely cold. I can remember being in Harbin at minus twenty five degrees centigrade, uh, and in the south, it, it, it is it is subtropical if it, if it's not tropical. So those are the drivers of culture. And one of the things I'd like to emphasize is that 
that really culture is not innate. Culture is something that is learned. Uh, and not only is it learned, it, it is also forgotten because most of us don't think about learning culture, but it is there in the background. Culture is a, is a, is a learned behavior. Another thing that we do uh, is that we borrow from other cultures. Now, sometimes people think this is a good thing, and sometimes people think that it is a bad thing. But what is, uh, is beyond doubt is that we borrow from other cultures. For example, in music, uh, we've borrowed an awful lot. In, in the West, uh, in popular music, we borrowed an awful lot from Afro-Caribbean music, from African music, and, and so on. So we must remember uh, that uh, we borrow things from other cultures. And I think that's probably a good idea. You know, if somebody does something well, uh, and it would fit well within our culture, within our society, that, that is something that we should do. Now, <clears throat> one of the dangers with culture is that it can lead us to stereotyping, uh, that we have an idea uh, of what people are like, uh, and it is not necessarily the case. And the, so, the, the sort of things that I'm thinking about is our uh, stereotype of, shall we say, Germans or Chinese or Africans or Americans or, or whatever. And one of the key things that we have to learn here is that we have to recognize that these, these things are stereotypes. And once we do that, we can control our stereotyping. The key concern about stereotyping, of course, is that it can lead to prejudice and discrimination. And certainly, if you are doing business in China, you need to be very careful. You, first of all, you should not be prejudiced. But if you are, you have to, you, you should not show it. The Chinese are very strong antennae uh, to detect when people are prejudiced against them, when they don't like them. And I, I can remember uh, being privy, not part of, but privy to a conversation between two British business people who referred to Chinese in very derogatory and very racialist terms, and, or even though they were talking amongst themselves, I believe that attitude will come through to the Chinese. They know very well if you don't like them. They know very well if you hold them in some sort of contempt. So be extremely careful. But maybe we should look at uh, some a, a couple of stereotypes from the Chinese point of view, sorry, from our point of view about the Chinese. Uh, and I think, uh, in my experience, the sort of stereotypes that we have is that the Chinese are actually regarded as very intelligent, whereas, you know, that they, that they actually have uh, the whole range of intelligence, the same as everybody else. Uh, we regard them as being maybe superstitious, mystical, full of ancient wisdom, ancient and mysterious. 
these are the sort of things that we might have seen from television programs uh, that, that, that have had a big influence on us. But also, you know, they're regarded as the yellow peril. I think the yellow peril was a term first uh, term coined by people in the during the Napoleonic, the Napoleonic period. Uh, and I, there, there's a phrase, you know, let let China sleep because when it awakes, it will astonish the world. Uh, and, and people have been afraid of China, I think. Uh, mainly, I believe, because it, it, it's so large. Other things that people, stereotypes, is that Chinese culture hasn't changed for a thousand years, even 2000 years, perhaps. Or, and also that maybe Chinese are good at maths, but clearly not all Chinese can be good at maths. And a key area, I think, is that Chinese people are regimented and obedient. And I think this comes from the newspapers and the and press coverage. When I first went to China, uh, that's exactly what I thought, that, that, that the Chinese were regimented, uh, that they were almost beaten into submission, and they, that, that they did everything that they were told. How wrong I was. When I first went to China, I soon realized that actually the Chinese are the most anarchic people in the world. Uh, and they just often go their own way. Um, I, 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 I've seen, for example, uh, in China, where there's been a traffic jam on the road and a car has just decided to make its own road and drive over the pavement and round the corner. Uh, I've seen traffic jams on pavements in China because everybody goes their own way. So do not think that the Chinese are regimented because they definitely aren't. On the other hand, the Chinese have stereotypes about Westerners, uh, one of which, of course, is that all Western countries are the same. Uh, they don't make uh, any difference between uh, Americans, Britain, Germany, and so on. And I think particularly in Europe, uh, they view all of Europe as the same. And as we well know, uh, we we are very different from the Germans. We are very different from the French, but they tend to bundle us together. Uh, they think that we don't care about our families. And I, personally, I believe there might be some truth in this. I think that families uh, are more important to the Chinese uh, than they are to us. Uh, maybe because uh, their society has been poorer and, and was less developed. Uh, whereas ours, because we had more money, we were, and, and we had demanding jobs and we went uh, to different parts of the country, we weren't able to have the nuclear family and we weren't able to look after our elder people, for, for example. That, so I think there is some truth in that. Um, they, Chinese also believe that people of a of mixed ethnic background are very intelligent. I don't know whether there's any uh, evidence for that, but, but I, I, I personally doubt, doubt it. Uh, and, and another problem uh, is that Western men have a very uh, bad reputation when it comes to their relations with women. 
uh, and that also ought to be borne in mind uh, when you're dealing with the Chinese. The Chinese cultural tradition is one of collectivism, whereas the Western tradition is one of individualism. Uh, collectivism is where they are loyal to their own reference groups, uh, they value relationships, they respect authority and hierarchy, uh, and they often give face to uh, very uh, high representative. I'll come back to face later. In individual uh, cultures, we value individual uniqueness and self-determination. Everybody should be allowed to do what they want. Uh, and uh, whether this is a good thing, I think, would be a debate for, for another day. Uh, the, uh, uh, another area where the Chinese are different is in terms of what is referred to as power distance. Uh, and that is that uh, in, in the West, uh, we have low power distance. That is, uh, all organizations tend to be flattened uh, and you're not very, if you work in a company, for example, or the government, you're not that far away from uh, where the power lies, from the, from the top management. Now, lots of companies that I've been, been working with in the past have only wanted five tiers of management. In China, the power distance is much, much higher. There is a massive gulf between the man working on the shop floor uh, and the bosses, uh, 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 the, the managers of the company. Uh, and you will see this in their day-to-day -day reaction uh, with uh, the people on the shop floor. And I, I have uh, seen senior Chinese managers uh, treat the workers on the shop floor with absolute, I could only say contempt, very rude to them. And the worker on the shop floor has not battered an eyelid because that's the sort of thing uh, that they expect. Another uh, perhaps uh, unregarded feature of Chinese culture is what I refer to as Sinocentrism. That is that China is the center of the world. It shouldn't surprise us because, you know, if you're British, you think that Britain is the center of the world or England is the center of the world if you're English. If you're German, you think Germany is the center of the world. Uh, and that's what the Chinese do as well. It's interesting uh, if you get the opportunity to look at a Chinese map of the world, <coughs> and there you will see China right in the center of the map, as you would expect. Uh, and you will see uh, certainly Britain and, and, and Western Europe right on the edge of the map. That is really on the edge of their world. Uh, and, and that needs to be taken into consideration. Chinese also feel that their, their culture is superior uh, uh, to, to other cultures uh, and that uh, other foreign countries, foreign nations and ethnic groups are barbarians. If you look at the history of Britain's relationship with China, uh, it was very much uh, that uh, the, the first representatives who went to the Beijing court were regarded as barbarians and were supplicants to the Chinese court, to the emperor. And I, th I personally think that this is still the case in China, that we 
are regarded as, as in inverted commas, the barbarians, uh, uh, and we are supplicants at the court of the emperor. Chinese culture is clearly uh, ancient. Their history goes back 5,000 years, uh, and they regard it as superior to other cultures. Uh, and this often takes in the surrounding countries because clearly China's size is so great uh, that it has an influence on all those countries surrounding it, particularly places like Vietnam and Laos and Burma and so on. Uh, and, and I think that Sinocentric view of, of East Asia cannot be disputed. If you look at Japan, for example, there's no doubt that Japan has been heavily influenced by China. Half the, half the Japanese alphabet are Chinese characters, for, for exa example. But sometimes uh, this Sinocentrism is not always a benign force. Sometimes it can mean that uh, they, it, 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 it changes into nationalism. Uh, and, and not accepting this cultures from other people. So, so let's 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 have a look at some of not stereotypes, but some of Chinese uh, China's traditional culture within Chinese culture is very hierarchical as we will see in the next uh, couple of minutes. Uh, there is the, within the traditional family, the, 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 group, the group is dominated by age over youth, men dominated women uh, and stability in the family was maintained by the high value placed on respect for one's place and the harmony of working within the established social order. So there are strong drivers in China to prevent people going against the established order. Now clearly, the, this is not always the case because there have been revolutions in China as well, particularly uh, in 1948 when the communists came to power. So the, the order can be uh, overturned but there are strong forces maintaining the status quo. And what, one, one of the reasons uh, for uh, maintaining the status quo is that China is, has been a very large country for, for millennia. Uh, when I say large, no, it, uh, it was not as large as it is now with 1.4 billion, but even 2000 years ago, uh, it had 150 million people, which was far larger uh, than, than, it, than its neighbors. And, and it was a massive empire uh, that, that, that had to be governed. Uh, and, and, and that's why harmony is so important. The, the, the idea uh, that people live in harmony with each other protects the, the, the central government. And, and the, the, the highest cultural traditions in China preserve the stability and prevent social disorder. China has 
in its in its own eyes at least and probably in our eyes as well uh, when we think about it has experienced a century of humiliation at the hands of foreigners uh, and this also is very important uh, often uh, i've been in negotiations uh, when the chinese side has more or less said look you owe us a good deal here for the advantage that you've taken of our country over the last 100 or even 150 years uh, since the opium wars in i believe they took place in, in 1840 uh, and the record uh, of, of the western powers and indeed japan has not been good when it when it comes to uh, their influences on china so please take that into consideration another thing about china in terms of culture is that it is different in different parts of the country uh, I've said earlier that climate was an important differentiator of culture and China has a very wide range of climate, as I've mentioned, and so it's freezing cold in the north and subtropical in the, in the south. Uh, and this has, has meant that the, the culture is different. Uh, also, uh, there is heavy industry in the north that for many years by the communists heavy industry was promoted in the north where it had existed before the communist takeover uh, and less promoted in in the south which is predominantly light industry uh, and and that is what one of the reasons why the south of china is the export engine uh, of china nobody nowadays makes uh, gets rich on exporting steel or making millions and millions of tons of steel the exports are consumer goods uh, scientific instruments and thing, things like that so that's one of the reasons why there's a cultural difference and and leading on from this i i would like to say that that china is more than one market uh, you need to be very careful if somebody says to you Oh, I, I, I can cover China if he's say if he's based in Beijing, because I unless it's something like an airline or, or a massive company, you can bet that if he has an office in Beijing, he does very little business in the south in Guangzhou, which is nearly 2000 miles away. Uh, and I think you can divide China up into at least five markets, uh, which will be, if I remember correctly, Northern China, Eastern China, Southern China, Central China, and Western China. Uh, and you can make arguments out uh, that that is more, many more than that. For example, the, the uh, province of Guangdong has 110 million people. Well, that is more than any country in Europe except Russia. And nobody in Europe, for example, would dream of considering Germany uh, with... Uh, with more than 80 million people uh, as part of, a, of a, a larger market. It would be a market in itself. So 
remember that when you're appointing distributors, remember that when you're trying to do business. In a, in, in a province like um, Guangdong, there is plenty of business for, a, for a, a UK company without ever going outside that particular province. And that's true of many other provinces. Another uh, regional difference is, is, is language. Uh, there are a number uh, of dialects in, in Chinese. I don't speak Chinese, so I, no, I, I don't find it easy to recognize these, or, although I can tell the difference between spoken Mandarin uh, and spoken Canton, in, in, which is in the north of China, and spoken Cantonese, which is in the south of China. Uh, and one interesting thing that I noticed when I went to China is that even Chinese uh, films have sub uh, Chinese language films have su have subtitles because it is it cannot be taken as read uh, that people in the south of uh, China will understand the dialect in northern China Mandarin, although of course Mandarin is the language of business is the language of government, uh, so more people understand Mandarin perhaps. Uh, than they would Cantonese. Uh, and I've spoken with Chinese friends and, and, and asked them if they understand Cantonese. And my understanding of it is that they have to learn uh, Cantonese. It's not like learning a brand new language, but there are different expressions, different pronunciations and so on. So it has to be considered as a separate language. Another area where we know there are regional differences in China uh, is in cuisine, uh, uh, in, in cooking. Uh, no, not all Chinese restaurants are the same. Uh, in, in the UK, most Chinese restaurants are, are offer a, a, a Cantonese cuisine, or at least they did when they first came here. Uh, now more and more people are offering uh, different cuisines. Uh, Sichuan, for example, comes to mind where British people seem to have a, 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 a liking for spicy food and I would include myself in that. So the, these are also regional differences which need to be taken into, into account. Uh, another difference between <clears throat> China uh, uh, and the West is what is called the, the cultural context, that is high context and low context cultures. A low context culture is one where things are fully spelled out. Things are made explicit uh, and there's considerable dependence on what is actually said or written. Whereas on the other hand, a high context culture is one in which the communicators assume a great deal of commonality and knowledge and views between the people who are between the protagonists to the conversation or the or the or the negotiation. Uh, and when you get uh, a clash between, or when they come together, a low context culture and a high context culture, uh, this can be, become problematic. Uh, and it can lead to misunderstandings. For example, the Chinese can find Westerners uh, to be offensively blunt. They're not sophisticated in, in their approach. On the other hand, Westerners can find Chinese to be secret, devious, 
<coughs> and unforthcoming uh, with uh, information. And low context cultures as the one we have are vulnerable to communications breakdown where we can assume more understanding than there actually is. And I've certainly been in meetings in China where uh, my clients have come out of the meeting understanding one thing, uh, and I've had to point out to them that that was not the case, uh, that it was just that the Chinese did not wish to offend them, uh, that they had not realized that what the Chinese were saying was actually uh, not accepting what they were saying rather than accepting. So that is something also that needs to be taken into account. I mentioned earlier uh, that the Chinese strive for harmony uh, as, a, as a basis for uh, a proper society. And uh, in, even in recent years, the last four or five years, people have been talking, and I think Xi Jinping has talked about developing a harmonious society in China. And this is extremely important. They place a lot of emphasis on, on consensus uh, and regardless of their personal feelings Chinese people are expected to behave with decorum and that's true of their relationships with western uh, companies and western people that they, that they expect them also to uh, behave with decorum. Chinese et etiquette does not allow feelings to be expressed uh, if, they're, if they're unpleasant. The premium is on doing things the right way and also there's a premium uh, on show rather than substance and you will often see uh, people flaunting their expen expensive clothes or uh, expensive uh, jewelry or whatever. Watches in particular uh, are an area where the Chinese do a lot of show. Uh, and, and I think that's why brands are have done so well in China. All the major brands in the world are represented in China. And just as an example of, of show from Chinese, I can remember on a couple of occasions going to a meeting and we were all dressed in suits. And you, the men among you may re recall that sometimes when you buy a new suit, it has a label uh, attached to the sleeve, which would say Yves Saint Laurent or Christian Dior or whatever. And it's, this label is only tacked on this sleeve uh, and you're meant to remove it. But actually, I've seen Chinese leave the label on the sleeve so that people know that they bought their uh, suit from one of the best brands because that's important and that, that, that gives them face. So you, you need to be, be, be quite careful dealing with the Chinese. Uh, you need to, when, when they're silent, for example, uh, in a meeting, that doesn't mean that they necessarily agree with, with, with what you're saying. They may violently disagree, but for the sake of harmony, they won't say it at the time. But they will disagree in other ways, as we'll find out later. Another most important part of Chinese uh, 
culture is hierarchy. And this is, comes from Confucianism. I think that during the communist period, religion uh, was suppressed. Uh, and I think that included Confucianism. Uh, but Confucianism has had an enormous uh, resurgence over the last years. And Com Confucius defines the cardinal relationships. And these five, there are five of them. Uh, five is a number, by the way, that the Chinese like. So you, you know, you get uh, the various things. There'll, there'll be five of them, but also sometimes there are three, but they like groups of things. So you will come across that. And you may use that against uh, in, in your presentation, not against them, but to demonstrate things. So these five cardinal relationships are between the ruler and the ruled, husband and wife, parents and children, older and younger brother, and between friend and friend. <clears throat> and you'll notice that the first four of these are hierarchical. There, there, there is one person higher than another. And for example, in the relationship with the ruler, between the ruler and the ruled, uh, what happens is that the, the, the people who were the ruled were counseled to trade obedience and loyalty for the benevolence of their rulers, that their ruler would, would like look after them. Uh, and adherence to all of these uh, five cardinal relationships yield to social harmony. And, and one, one, of, one of the things that, that, that you know, in the area of the relationship between husband and wife is, you know, that, that if you've got a happy wife, you've got a happy life. Uh, and, and that is the sort of harmony that uh, the Chinese are striving for. Confucian, Confucius also has other rules of behavior, which I think are wonderful. Uh, and I think that they're something that we in the West could well do to follow. Uh, and I think some of us try to. Uh, and the, 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 these five basic ideas of behavior are always be considerate to others, respect for your ancestors. That's perhaps something we don't do as much as we might. Try for harmony and balance in all things. Avoid extremes of behavior and emotion. And they say that if you live in peace, you will be in touch with spiritual forces of the universe, including yet nature. And that, to me, sounds a very modern way of approaching life. Uh, remembering that, of course, uh, Confucius goes back to well, I'm not quite sure the dates of Confucius, but I think it's around 200 BC, something like that. In addition, Confucius offers five basic virtues, <clears throat> which are kindness, righteousness, sobriety, wisdom, and trustworthiness. And your well-being depends upon the well-being of others. So you have to treat them properly. You have to be courteous to people. You have to be loyal to people. And you have to have family values. <clears throat> and if you look at this list, 
you can perhaps see why uh, the Chinese believe that to an extent uh, Westerners lack moral fiber uh, and that makes them feel superior to Westerners. Uh, and I, I personally would agree that we do lack some moral fiber. I'm not sure we're kind enough to, to, to our fellow men. I'm certainly not sure that we're sober enough. I think that's part of the, uh, uh, of the individualism uh, that is part of our culture. And we, you know, we could definitely make some changes for the better. So that's, <clears throat> that's a basic background of Chinese culture. Now I want to look more specifically at Chinese business culture, but I thought it was important that you know something about where the Chinese are coming from culturally to enable you to understand the Chinese business culture. So let's, <clears throat> for a start, look how Chinese view foreigners. Many Chinese have had little or no contact with foreigners, and that might surprise you as a business person because you know, if you go to China, you, you know, the, the Chinese are always in contact with a foreigner and that is with you. But if you think back to the UK, uh, it's a, actually quite a small number of people who have contact with foreigners. For example, I've had uh, a lot in my life to do with Germany. I've lived there. Uh, I learned the language. I know Germany very well. But if I think about it, uh, my neighbors, uh, the people I meet and so on, they have no contact with a place like Germany at all. And that's true of China. Most Chinese do not have any contact with Westerners, uh, especially if you live outside the big, the big cities. And their, their <clears throat> attitude towards uh, foreigners is, is one of uh, mixed feelings, one of curiosity, and I think uh, a slight feeling of intimidation. You know, there is a, quite a respect, I think, in China for foreigners. Uh, and Westerners are often seen uh, as, as rich, uh, being cause for admiration, but also uh, they are resented, because, perhaps because they're, they're rich. Now, this particular attitude is certainly declining in China as China becomes more rich, but nevertheless, it is prevalent. They are proud of their his culture and their history, and why should they not be? You know, if you've got a culture going back 5,000 years and it survived and things like the writing are very similar to they what to they were two or three thousand years ago you can get contact with with, with your ancestors everybody is proud of their culture uh, and and there's no 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 reason why why they should not be um, one of the the, the things uh, that that happens so pride in your culture and pride in your history can lead to an ex uh, an extent to nationalism and that's one of my concerns concerning china at the moment it's not really a political point i don't think but i think that you we are seeing a rise in chinese nationalism 
uh, as China asserts itself on the world stage. I'm not saying that China shouldn't assert itself on the world stage, but it also brings along uh, what is sometimes an ugly nationalism in Chinese politics and Chinese society. Uh, and I can certainly remember occasions when uh, I thought I was in quite a lot of danger uh, walking along the road from a gang of men who uh, would have attacked me, I believe, if I hadn't have got into a taxi very quickly. And that does happen. The, one of the things, uh, that the, the way that Chinese view foreigners, as I mentioned, is, is it's schizophrenic. They, there's a split personality. They, they have a sense of superiority over uh, foreigners because of their history and because of their culture, because of their civilization. But at the same time, uh, they have a sense of inferiority because they are not well acquainted with Western ways. Uh, and I certainly found that um, uh, Chinese sometimes will not say things in, in, in negotiations because they have a sense of inferiority, because they do not know uh, what the West is like. And so therefore uh, they keep quiet, they don't say anything, but, the, but this inferiority continues. But one, what, what you can do, uh, certainly with the Chinese, is learn a little bit about their culture and their business culture, because they have very low expectations of foreigners. Foreigners have abused uh, and exploited them over, over many years, uh, and therefore their opinion is not great. But if you have a little knowledge of China and of Chinese customs, that can earn you a lot of praise. So, no, and one of the things I'm hoping that you will gain from this, uh, this podcast is that you will be able to demonstrate that you've taken time to learn Chinese customs. It's a good idea, for example, to take time just to learn a few phrases uh, in, in Chinese. Uh, be careful what phrases you learn, because I can swear quite well in Chinese. And sometimes when uh, the people I'm working with in China, the Chinese people, uh, want to uh, amuse themselves, they ask me to swear in Chinese, which I won't do here, but it does cause a great deal of amusement. And I think endears you to uh, the people you're talking to, but I'm not recommending that you learn Chinese swear words. Uh, one of the advantages that you have as a foreigner is that you're, you, you are considered different and that, that gives you a, a, a superior position. Uh, the Chinese don't have or are not aware of your background, so they tend to ascribe to you uh, more importance perhaps uh, than we really than we really deserve, especially as, for example, they're not familiar with structures of uh, uh, of Western companies, and if people call themselves the director, they might think that they're a company director. I mean, you know, if you look, if you look even in the West, if you look at the people like uh, Goldman Sachs, I'm always amazed how many managing directors there are at Goldman Sachs. 
I'm sure that I've read somewhere that there are more than 550 managing directors in Goldman Sachs. So that counts and that gives us an an advantage. A little look perhaps at the Chinese attitude towards themselves, some of which I've touched upon. They are nationalistic and they are patriotic uh, and you mustn't forget that. Uh, It is never a good idea to criticize a country uh, or its politics when you're trying to do a negotiation. I I have had discussions with my Chinese friends about politics, about Chinese nationalism and so on, but they were very good friends who I'd known a long time, who I trusted. But if within a business context, do not question a person's patriotism. Do not question Chinese, China's attitude to the West. That's nothing to do with you. I, I would advise anybody not to discuss politics in China at all, unless it is raised, first of all, by the Chinese. And even then, I would be very circumspect. I've mentioned uh, the Chinese attitude to foreigners a little bit, but go perhaps go into a little bit more de- detail how the Chinese view the Americans uh, and the British and the Japanese. Uh, I think Americans are perhaps viewed as rather brash, you know, in a, in a way similar uh, to, to their, the way they're viewed in, um, in Western Europe. They are people who, whenever they travel, they take America with them. American ways of doing business are the only way of doing business. And of course, this this grates a little bit, uh, but might give the Chinese an advantage in some ways. The British uh, are regarded maybe not quite as brash as the Americans, but we are, as it were, mini Americans in their mind. But another point that um, you should bear in mind about uh, the British, uh, uh, how how they're viewed by the Chinese, is that they are viewed as untrustworthy. Uh, And that goes back to history where the the British have exploited uh, China to their own advantage. Uh, And the the phrase perfidious Albion comes to mind. So remember that although we might think that we're very open, we know we're worthy of trust and so on, In China, they're suspicious. They're looking for at everything you do and saying, does this really mean what I think it means? Can I trust these people? And and as we'll see later, you you need to work to develop some of this trust. And then we come to the Japanese. Now, the Japanese have treated China very badly in the past, particularly in the Second World War which you should remember uh, for China began, I think in 1933 or 1934. Uh, and the Chinese treated the, sorry, the Japanese treated the Chinese absolutely appallingly. I once bought a book about the rape of Nanjing, which is what the Chinese did to Nanjing, I think in 1938. And it was so appalling. I just couldn't read it, you know, I I had to put it down. 
and I said to one of my friends, uh, I was talking to him and I said, I know that the Chinese don't like the Japanese. And he said to me, Robin, that's not true. He said, the Chinese hate the Japanese. And I think that's a very widespread opinion in, in China that, that, that they really do not like the Japanese. On the other hand, you must remember uh, that the Chinese will not let ideology or history get in the way of doing a good business deal if it suits them. So, so that, again, needs to be remembered. <coughs> Excuse me. Another point you need to make, and I've talk, I talked a little bit about it, about the differences between the North and South, that although China comprises 18.47% of the world's population, I, I believe, that's why I checked it on Wikipedia, that's nearly a fifth of mankind. That means that, you know, if you had a room of five with five people in it, to, to, to reflect the structure of the world population, one of those would have to be Chinese. But they're not all the same. They, 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 they are, the, the, the Northern Chinese are different uh, from the Southern Chinese. And I need to be very careful here because I do not wish to go into any, to say anything that anybody might consider to be racial stereotyping. But I do know, for example, that the Chinese uh, in the north of China have a reputation for being very aggressive. Uh, and I can certainly tell you a story about this because I was driving along uh, in a van, a people carrier in Changchun, uh, and I, we, we drove past somebody who was lying on the ground being kicked by three or four Chinese. Uh, and his girlfriend was trying to pull the, Ch the Chinese who were kicking him off him and he got up and ran away and I thought excellent that's exactly what I would do get out of there as soon as possible this man did not do that he went to his bicycle grabbed an iron bar goodness knows what it was doing on his bicycle and went back and laid about the Chinese who'd been kicking him and then we moved on. But I could imagine that he could have done them a great deal of injury. I think perhaps the in Southern China, uh, where they don't have the history of uh, uh, so much of, of the Mongols coming down to the North, they, they may be more peaceable. But certainly, again, if you go to Hong Kong, uh, where most Hong Kong people are, uh, Cantonese coming from Guangdong, uh, they certainly uh, don't have any compunction about sticking their elbows into you as you get into the lift so you get out of their way. So remember, these people are different and don't uh, assume that all Chinese are the same. The sort of thing that they want, they, they tend, I mentioned brands earlier, and Chinese tend to go to the for the best uh, and that is the things that are identified as the most prestigious product uh, and you can see again I mentioned with with with, um, with watches there are plenty of people in China who are walking around with business people who are walking around with very expensive watches 
I mean, you know, a £12,000 watch is not unusual at all. Uh, and I've seen watches on sale uh, in, for, a, for example, the Hyatt uh, Hotel in, in Beijing uh, for £150,000. I mean, massive, massive prices. Uh, I also remember having a, a, a conversation uh, with the, uh, the shop assistant uh, in, in the duty-free shop where uh, in Beijing airport, where they had uh, bottles of whiskey at $5,000. And I, I asked her, do you sell very many of these? And she said, well, you know, we might sell five or 10 a week. And I said, well, why do people buy such expensive bottles of whiskey? And she said, it's to give people face. You know, they, they give them as gifts. Uh, and that is very important. And again, this is something that we will consider later. Uh, but brands and quality and the best are very important to the Chinese. This moves over into industrial products <clears throat> where the latest cutting edge technology is preferred to uh, perhaps something that's not, that, that, that is not quite as modern. And for example, we set up a, um, a joint venture in, uh, in China that needed uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing machinery and the machinery comes in basically in three versions it, it it's the version the type made in china it's the type made in china but under license from a western company and it's the machines made in the west and without any doubt the machines made in the west are considered superior to the machines made under license which in turn are superior to the ones that are made just undeveloped by the Chinese themselves. Now, I think this is changing, but it's something that you still need to take into consideration. Regarding how they behave, uh, Chinese, you can't, you can't always assume when they laugh that they're happy. Uh, it may be embarrassment. I mean, there is a, co a concept in, in, in English, isn't it? The, the, the embarrassed laugh. And, and you, it, you know, if people are laughing with you, uh, it is not always sharing the joke or uh, understanding what you mean. Uh, and in sharing jokes, uh, one of the pieces of advice that I would give you is do not tell jokes to Chinese because jokes do not translate into Chinese. And unless they've got a very good command of English, the, the jokes will fall flat and it's not really a good idea to do it. They also don't always smile when they're introduced. They, that doesn't mean that they're not being friendly. It just is the way people are in China. But one of the things that you do need to do in China is, is, is keep a lot of eye contact. Uh, I think we, do, we try to do that in, in, in UK and in the West. Eye contact is, is extremely important and, uh, and, and desirable. Now, look people in the eye. Do not give any semblance of perhaps looking shifty or, or untrustworthy. You also, if you go into a meeting, uh, you may find uh, that a lot of people are smoking in there. I can certainly remember going into meetings in China where there might have been 20 or 30 people 
and the, the whole room is filled with a blue fog where everybody is, is smoking. So don't, if they are smoking, don't criticize them. It might be a good idea at some time to ask for a non-smoking room. Uh, and this is getting better. The Chinese people are beginning to realize uh, that smoking is dangerous uh, and, and, that, and that, that, is, that it is frowned upon. Another aspect of the Chinese is superstition. Uh, and in my mind, uh, China, the Chinese are very superstitious. They, for example, Feng Shui, which you may have heard of, is extremely important. Uh, it's basically meant to create harmony and, and, and balance. But no Chinese company or individual would dream of having a house built or a new factory built uh, or a new office block built without consulting the Feng Shui master uh, as to where, how this should be built, how it should be aligned. For example, uh, you should not build a house facing north. It should, it, it, that, that, that would bring, bring bad luck. Uh, staircases should have an even number of steps. Uh, which I don't think is, is the case in, in, in most houses in the UK. I seem to remember lots of houses have 13 steps. The number eight is considered lucky, and you will see lots of big companies with telephone numbers that end in eight or eight eight or eight 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 or even eight 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 eight, and which they for which they must pay enormous amounts of money merely because that is regarded as lucky. The number four, uh, which in Chinese is sir, excuse my pronunciation, is considered unlucky. The reason for this being uh, that sir is also the Chinese word for treasure, uh, for, sorry, for death. Uh, and if I remember correctly, the Chinese word for eight, ba, uh, is very similar to the Chinese word for treasure. So you know, that, 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 that these are the reasons why uh, they use, the, they, they're superstitious about these numbers. So be careful with numbers. Red is the color of blood and of life and will bring happiness. Well, fame and good, good luck. So normally uh, you would uh, wrap a gift in, um, in red paper uh, when you give it to people, not in any other sort of paper. Uh, and I must say the only Chinese wedding that I've been to, uh, the bride wore a red dress to bring her happiness, wealth and fame and, and luck. Although nowadays, I think that the Chinese brides are more and more frequently aping the West and they're wearing white wedding dresses. Uh, uh, and, but you know, it, it, in essence, that, that, that is not great because it, it's the superstition still says that white is the color of funerals, not black as in, as in the West, but white. So uh, there's, there's clearly some sort of dichotomy here uh, 